Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. So glad you have joined us today, and thanks for letting us be part of your day. We have plenty to talk about today, that's for sure. We're going to talk with Paul Blyberg with the National Milk Producers Federation about announced changes to the uh, Food Box Assistance Program. Uh, What direction is USDA going to go now? How does that affect the dairy industry? We'll talk with Paul Blyberg, Senior Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Lots to talk about with the markets. Todd Holtman, DTN's lead analyst, will be joining us on the program. And as some wait to get to the fields, others are planting. We're going to check in northeastern Kansas with Ken McCauley and see what's going on in his area. Are they started? If so, how much do they have done? We'll find out later in today's program. But we're going to start it off now talking with Michael Formica. He's the Assistant Vice President, Domestic Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. This week, a Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals panel um, heard arguments on the case against California's Proposition 12, which basically requires pork products that are sold in the state of California to come from production methods as dictated in Proposition 12. The big question here is, does a state like California have the right to tell producers in other states how they're going to produce their, in this case, animals and sell into that market of California? Michael joins us now. And Michael, what can you tell us? Uh, what came from that, uh, that hearing this week t- at the 9th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals? Sure, and thanks for having me on today, uh, Mike. Um, so Proposition 12 requires specifically that sows have a minimum of 24 square feet of space, uh, except for when they're farrowing, um, they're delivering, and nursing piglets. And importantly for, for pork producers, it, it, it's not just that 24 square feet of space, which for the vast majority of producers is going to be, you know, and especially with people who already have group pen systems, it's still going to be like a 20 to 25% decrease in production efficiency. So they're going to have to find all this extra space. It eliminates the use of individual pens so farmers can provide direct individualized care to those sows post-weaning. So after the sow gives birth, is has um, weaned the piglets off, you want to put them in a protected place so they're safe, comfortable, and they can they can gain their strength back. They can eat. They can get proper nutrition, and they can avoid the fights that happen among aggressive animals. And so, pork producers are very worried about the loss of these you know important sow care measures that are being taken away from them. We went up to the Ninth Circuit. We had very interesting arguments. Um, a lot of the debate centered around. Um, standards of review, uh, very technical legal jargon, what exactly is the appropriate standard of review, can the Ninth Circuit do this, can this panel do this, Uh, and then lots of questions as to, you know, how exactly is this going to impact both California as well as pork producers around the country? Is California really impacting pork producers in Iowa, in Illinois? Uh, Is it impacting pork producers, uh, as the court asked, in North Carolina or in Georgia. 
And the answer, of course, is yes, it's impacting pork producers everywhere because they're all going to have to comply. California's Deputy Attorney General said Prop 12 is indifferent to the sale of pork products in other states and that while it's certainly true laws can have an effect on out-of-state conduct, California nevertheless has the right to regulate products sold within its borders. Uh, What's your response to that? Well, California, you know, if, if California has some, you know, clearly has some right to regulate what happens within the state of California. What they don't have the right to do, and they and they do that, as the court pointed out, as Judge Akuta pointed out, they do that through Proposition 2, which was passed 10 years ago, um, 2000, maybe 2010, 2012. And Proposition 2 imposed cage-free standards for you know, for layers, for veal, and for pork inside the state of California. The issue is there's no pork produced in California, and what California doesn't have the right to do is to then reach out into California and say we want – or reach out to Iowa and say, in Iowa, we want you to raise pigs this way. In North Carolina, we want you to raise pigs this way. In Minnesota, we want you to raise pigs this way. They can't do that. That is within the sovereign rights of that state. Now, Iowa could do that. Minnesota could do that and tell their own citizens how to, how to you know, conduct business within the state. But California can't go into another state. Um, just, just not allowed. And the Constitution is exceedingly clear on this. And all the other circuits, all the other courts of appeals around the country are very clear on this issue the ninth circuit is not and so a big part of this case has to do with um the ninth circuit acts as an outlier um against the whole country and so we need the we need either the ninth circuit to recognize that and and change its standard how it reviews this or ultimately we're going to go to the supreme court and get the supreme court to do it okay i was going to ask you what's the next step so you kind of outlined it there uh when do you expect action to come on this it, it it's always tough to say because judges are are their own boss <laughs> they don't my i have a boss over me who tells me i need i need this done by this date uh you know the judges are free to take as much time as they want uh realistically they've got they've got busy dockets i would expect something in the middle of the summer um we have uh we and we we've we we have looked out with a panel uh, where at least one of the judges was also um, also sat in on the case that NAMI brought uh, the North American Meat Institute, and so she in in the hearing uh, clearly had you know, far more familiarity and understanding of what is going on, and was able to relay that through her questions. She understood how this was impacting packers and processors. And now, how this is impacting the the individual farmers. Um, and so we're you know we're we're hopeful that you know she has this knowledge that might speed things up. Uh, I would I would expect to sometime yeah. early summer. Big case. Uh, uh, American Farm Bureau Federation is with you on this, and the North American Meat Institute. A number of a number of states, some twenty states involved in this as well, uh, fighting this Prop 12 in California. 
as we've said before, has a lot of ramifications. I mean, if, if this is allowed, then it could go beyond pork to other products being sold into that state. So we'll watch it closely. That, Michael, thank you for the update. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. That's you too. Michael Formica, Assistant Vice President, Domestic Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. That is a huge case. Um, we'll see what happens with Prop 12 in California. Well, the uh, USDA is making some changes. They are canceling the food box program from the Trump administration. And uh, we're going to find out what they're putting in its place. And what does the dairy industry say about that? We'll talk with Paul Blyberg with the National Milk Producers Federation next, right here on AOA. Stay with us. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanning.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to chill. First, keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Use an appliance thermometer to be sure things are cool. Then, chill leftovers and takeout foods within two hours and divide food into shallow containers for fast cooling. And always thaw meat, poultry, and seafood in the fridge, not on the counter, and never overstuff the fridge. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. 
For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. USDA has announced it will end the Farmers to Families Food Box Program which was established in the Trump administration. May will be the last month of the program. Ag Secretary Vilsack, citing inefficiencies with the uh, program, said they're going to take the best of it and put some of those components into some of the uh, food assistance programs that they already have. Uh, the, The program, the Farmers to Families Food Box Program, has both supporters and critics, and uh, we've heard from both after this announcement. I want to get some thoughts from the dairy industry because dairy is a big part of this. And some of the plans are to uh, put more into the dairy donation program. So joining us now is Paul Blyberg, Senior Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Paul, what do you think of this move uh, to end the, uh, the food box program and move into other areas? Uh, well, good morning, and thanks, Mike, for having me on. I think the uh, I think the decision ultimately is a probably a reflection of the fact that while the food box program did provide help last year at a time when it was very needed, really in the thick of the pandemic, it was not without its challenges. Now, you spoke briefly about some of the distribution and logistics issues uh, that many cited. You know, we had an interesting set of issues. I think that we've spoken about before in the dairy sector relating to pricing, because the product balance, especially between butter and cheese, under the program. Uh, was was pretty off in, in as far as the, the spread between the two, and therefore it led to a lot of uh, kind of unusual market volatilities for dairy farmers that caused some of the depooling and lost class one revenue and other things that we're continuing to work on and that we've spoken about. And so what I think we're going to be interested in now going forward is working closely with USDA on other opportunities to purchase product. You know, you obviously mentioned one being the dairy donation program uh, that the department put out a notice on the other day, but uh, Secretary Vilsack had some very good comments on product purchases when he was testifying a couple of days ago at the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Ag, just leaning in on the importance of further purchases. And I think we think Section 32 and TFAP and possibly scaling that up will be very important here as we look ahead to uh, the next several months because we're not out of the woods as far as COVID-19 and product purchases will still be very important. It'll just be through different uh, vehicles than the food box program. Yeah, Secretary Vilsack cited uh, a lot of food waste and loss and said the average price of a box of food fluctuated from as low as $28 to a high of $105 and said distribution costs and the content of boxes varied from place to place. Um, The Food Marketing Institute, representing major grocery chains, is welcoming this decision to end the food box program. So there seems to be a lot of support to move this in other areas. Um, And as you mentioned, the need is still there, obviously. Uh, How do you see dairy being a part of this moving forward? So I think it'll be several tools in the toolbox. 
the, the dairy donation program was something we worked very hard to get done with Congress at the end of last year, the Consolidated Appropriations Act for fiscal year 21. Uh, we're very glad USDA has prioritized implementation of that program. We've been having good conversations with them and with others. And so that moving forward is going to be a very important piece. You know, Section 32 purchases are going to continue to be important. The TFAP program and possibly scaling up opportunities under that program will be important. And there may be other yet, you know, yet to be developed items that could be helpful too. And so I think as long as we're accomplishing the, you know, kind of dual goals of moving product to food insecure households and, you know, providing that lift to the dairy farmers need right now, I think that's, you know, kind of the, the dual priorities for us, no matter what the, the mechanism is. And, you know, as it relates to some of the logistics challenges under the food box program you mentioned, you know, with any new program that you set up, especially when you do it very quickly, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have things that don't go perfectly and, you're going to have things you want to fix. And so I think now that we've had the lessons learned and certainly the listening sessions that USDA did that we participated in, uh, that does give us a, a chance to kind of look forward and say, okay, well, what can be done differently or better in, in newer existing programs? And certainly as it relates to, to dairy, the point that we're going to be leaning in on in addition to, you know, the importance of continued robust dairy purchases is the point about, you know, let's avoid a repeat of some of the, you know, market imbalances that, that happened last year. Paul, uh, kind of explain for us how this is working as far as dairy being part of these food assistance programs. I know, you know, Feeding America and food banks across the country working hard. They're the, overwhelmed with demand. Uh, it's sometimes hard to get products like milk, say, to into these programs. How's that working? Well, the Section 32 program, you know, that has been used by the department to buy up a whole range of products. Uh, the, the same applies for the TFAP program. You know, the food box program had different requirements around cheese and fluid milk. And so dairy has a, a role to play being a key nutritious product and the source of many essential nutrients in all of these different programs. Sometimes there are, you know, delivery issues on the ground, especially if, you know, food banks don't have a lot of on-site refrigeration capacity and things like that. But, you know, I think the, the role is there for dairy in a lot of these programs. and We're just going to keep pushing to, to continue that and to expand it, frankly. Yeah, but there's no doubt there's this need, and 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 dairy is a big part of supplying uh, the product to to meet that need. Uh, how much more do you see this? I mean, with all these going in different directions, uh, do you see this uh, effort growing? I I think I certainly see us continuing to emphasize the need for product purchases right now, and that I think will be the case for still a period of time as we're in. Uh, as we're in the pandemic and market demand is not fully backed up, there's you know, even outside of COVID, there's always a role for product purchases to help deal with surplus product and things like that. It's been exacerbated by these conditions of the last year, obviously. Uh, so you know, it's hard to say for the long term what uh, what's going to happen after we get out of the pandemic and that truly becomes a thing for the past. I think we're very excited by the dairy donation program because I think we view that as something that we can maintain and develop for the longer term rather than just temporarily. Obviously, the priority is going to be right now. But that now, now that it's been created may have some very good long-term potential kind of building off of the uh, milk donation reimbursement program that was created at the 2018 Farm Bill, which, which was an initial uh, sort of pilot version of this uh, of this concept. But I think you know, in the long run, there, there are all these different vehicles to make product purchases, and we'll just have to see what the landscape looks like as we go. Talking with Paul Bleiberg with the National Milk Producers Federation. Paul, um, some schools have been able to be open with in-person uh, uh, learning, but a lot of schools, students have still been kept out, and that means they're not being able to be, you know, get 
uh, the meals and many of them depending on that school lunch program and breakfast programs dairy a big part of that how's that impacted uh, the dairy industry uh, when we look at this past year during the pandemic well when the pandemic first started a year ago we were very pleased that USDA was allowing uh, a whole variety of dairy products to be included in the kind of uh, school lunch options that were being provided for kids who were learning remotely and there was shelf stable milk and things like that and so that helped a lot as far as making sure that kids were still consuming milk obviously with people not being in school directly there is some impact there but you know people are also buying more and have been buying more at home and so not going out to eat as much and so if that has helped fluid consumption at home then that would have a positive impact on kids who are you know at school at home so to speak um secretary Vilsack at the same hearing i mentioned a few minutes ago also had very good comments about the importance of milk consumption among our nation's children in schools. And so as Congress takes up, you know, child nutrition reauthorization, we're certainly going to be looking to fortify and build on the, you know, different options that kids have to uh, to drink milk in school. Yep. So hopefully we'll get this pandemic behind us before long, but in the meantime, still uh, dealing with the impact of it and uh, creating this, this need that is out there and uh, the dairy industry playing a big part in helping uh, meet uh, meet those food needs. Paul, as always, thank you for being with us. Thank you for the update. Thanks for having me on. All right. That's Paul Blyberg, Senior Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. So two, two big stories there. Um, USDA ending that food box program that was started under the Trump administration during the pandemic, and that program will end in May. And um, Secretary Vilsack saying they're going to try to take what works from it and uh, kind of channel it out through other programs uh, that they have and try to make it more efficient. And then the other big story we talked about at the outset uh, with Michael Formica with the National Pork Producers Council, this uh, ongoing legal challenge to California's Prop 12. And as I mentioned, the National Pork Producers Council and American Farm Bureau Federation have filed a case against Prop 12. I mentioned the North American Meat Institute and other states. They filed a separate case uh, against it as well. So you have a lot of legal action here. This is what I always call ag in the courtroom, and sometimes it gets confusing. But you have NPPC and American Farm Bureau filing one case against Prop 12, North American Meat Institute filing a separate case. So we'll keep an eye on all that because it really affects producers across the country uh, wanting to, in this case, sell into a market like California. So there's lots going on, and of course, uh, a lot going on with the markets as well as we continue to watch uh, early planting progress and conditions in in this country, as well as planting of that Safrina corn crop in South America. Tight stocks, um, a lot of questions about where we're headed this year with the markets. We're going to talk about all that with Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. That's next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. How many acres are you keeping an eye on? Another pair of eyes could be very helpful in protecting your ROI, especially ones that are highly trained. And that's what you'll get with an FS Crop Specialist. They can spot issues you might not even know you have using the latest technology, including thermal, drone, and NDVI imaging. Then they can get an early treatment plan started. Contact your local FS Crop Specialist to learn more about our crop scouting services. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next.
I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Traders are still dialing in the tight U.S. supplies, cold dry weather delaying U.S. planting, and dry conditions for the second crop Brazilian corn. Soybeans finally rallied during the last half of the week, but are still stuck just a little bit above the green line and near the average price since the first of the year. On the Board of Trade, July soybeans trading six and a half cent higher at 14.17 and a half cent. The May contract up six and three quarters at 14.25 and a fraction. May corn trading a fraction lower at 5.89 and three quarters. The July contract up a half cent at 5.77 and a fraction. For wheats, the Chicago wheat May contract down a half cent at 6.53 and a fraction. Kansas City wheat May up two and a half cent at 6.10 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat May down a fraction at 6.63. The July contract down a penny and a fraction at 6.70. Livestock futures closed lower Thursday with hog taking the brunt of the pressure. Cattle futures continue to decline, even though cash traded higher and box beef showed strong prices. The focus was on continued future weakness as liquidation is still not finished. High grain prices, cash not increasing as much as one had anticipated, and somewhat dismissal export sales kept pressure on futures. The bright spot was cash did trade higher and box beef was significantly higher. Today, we are seeing prices mixed across the livestock sector with June live cattle up seven cents at 119.72 the August contract up two cents at 119.72. For feeder cattle, the May contract down 52 cents at 143.90. The August contract down two cents at 155.57. For lean hogs, the May contract up 95 at 104.52. The June contract down 85 at 103.82. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 138 points. The Nasdaq composite down 17. The S&P 500 up nine. For the American Egg Network, I'm Kirsten Rawls. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
And we're joined now by DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Todd, want to talk a little bit about um, some disappointing export sales numbers uh, recently. Uh, the old adage, the cure for high prices is high prices. Are we getting to a price point that we're going to see uh, a slowdown in sales, or do tight stocks kind of override that? Where are we? Yeah, uh, very good question, and you're right. We did have a disappointing report on uh, Thursday morning. We had actually four new marketing year lows uh, for commodities. We had some net sales cancellations in wheat and soybean oil. And, uh, yes, absolutely high prices do tend to pinch demand. Uh, the other thing happening, which happens normally this time of year, is you get Br- Brazil's big record soybean harvest, and so the attention shifts from buying U.S. soybeans, and China runs down to Brazil, and they're going to be active buyers uh, down in Brazil now so for several months. So part of this is seasonal and normal. Uh, yes, part of this uh, is a factor of high prices. But in the end, I have to say the answer to your question is that I still think tight supplies uh, win out over all of this. Always hard to figure out what China's doing or to really get a handle on their thinking. But from what you've seen so far, their approach to their purchases, what are those purchases telling us about how they view things and what they may be thinking moving forward? Well, uh, excellent question, and I'll tell you, for the best clues, uh, I I think I've been looking at China's actual prices uh, in their country, and so far their corn prices are holding up very well. They're still at the equivalent of over $10 a bushel. Uh, Soybeans are over $17 a bushel. So as far as those clues go, it looks like they still have very strong reasons to have active demand for corn and soybeans. There's another tip I'd like to mention in here, and that is looking at Brazil's corn and soybean prices. Um, Just yesterday, we saw Brazil's FOB soybean price for the May contract hit a new one-month high. And um, the, the importance of that to me as an analyst, is that to see that price hit a new one-month high at a time when Brazil is in the midst of a 5 billion bushel soybean harvest is almost unimaginable. Uh, The fact that they're showing that much price strength, in my mind, is another indicator of China's very strong demand in this situation and why I I continue to expect that strong demand to uh, persist throughout 2021. Yeah, because you'd think big crop would be, lead to lower prices. That, that's not the case. Yeah, and, and that's what we would always normally expect uh, at harvest time. Even a mediocre crop, we would get a price depression for a while. But uh, and, and you'd think with a 5 billion bushel crop, that would be enough to uh, put a lid on prices for a while. And, and yet they are holding very firm. So I, I think that's maybe one of the best uh, examples of how strong this demand is which kind of goes back to something we've talked about before. Uh, we needed to see a big crop come out of South America. Now, that seems kind of strange to say about your competitor, but that, that really is the case, right? Well, yeah. Uh, so here in the U.S., we're looking at 120 million bushel surplus that I think is probably closer to maybe 60 or 80 million bushels. Uh, USDA is estimating Brazil's surplus in this season when they get 
done of only 90 million bushels. Uh, and then, uh, as you say, we're kind of scrapping for acres right now to get enough big enough uh, planting acreage uh, just to hope that we can meet demand uh, in the new crop season uh, with our fall harvest. So <laughs> you're absolutely right. Uh, it, it's it, it's not what we would usually say that we need that big harvest from Brazil, but just to keep price or uh, supplies somewhat intact and flowing, we really do. Talking with DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Well, let's go to the corn picture. Uh, they're trying to get that safrina corn crop in in South America. How will that production of that crop impact corn prices this year? Um, yeah, very good question. I still think there's probably going to be some bullish influence when we get through to the end of the season on this second corn crop. Now, we have seen a little improvement in this week's forecast. There's a little more rain uh, closer to the moderate rain amount uh, for southern Brazil this week, and, and that's uh, a bit of an improvement from what we saw earlier this week. But it's still, we're still kind of riding the fence uh, of this brand-new second corn crop, and it's going to be pollinating soon. And, and of course, uh, you'd like to see a broad coverage of good rains uh, to, to ensure a good crop there, and we, we can't quite be confident of that yet. And then uh, the fact that typically Brazil's kind of dry season uh, shows up shortly after that. We have to expect that it's probably going to go through a dry stretch, and knowing that it was planted late this year, uh, there could be some more vulnerability there. So this, um, uh, you know, Brazil doesn't compete with corn on a bigger scale as they do for soybeans. We're talking about a roughly 4 billion bushel plus uh, crop, but it's a, a very important uh, spoke in the wheel uh, that we need this time of year, typically need this time of year to transition to the U.S. in the fall. Yeah, it just seems like in recent years we've put more, we've there's been more significance attached to that safrina corn crop. Boy, uh, there really has, and uh, it's you know it's really increased uh, over the past several years too, and it's become a much more uh, important source of income for Brazil. So it, it's really come on strong lately. Let's go back to China for a moment and some other markets as well. As African swine fever flares up again, does that mean? they would buy less grain and more, say, pork? Or what What do you think we're going to see there? Well, uh, that would be the uh, traditional guess, is that we would expect less feed grain demand. And we did see some correction in their soybean meal price uh, earlier in the year. But I would say in the last month or so, their soybean meal price has held uh, fairly steady and, and uh seems to be in okay shape. It's not breaking down significantly, and, and their corn price is holding up well, uh, too, and also looks well-supported. So I don't see any significant feed grain uh, reduction coming out of China from African swine fever. Uh, we've seen their pork prices come down uh, sharply this year, so it, it's still kind of anybody's guess as to where the actual herd stands out. Uh, last time USDA's attache looked at it, they estimated about a 14% increase in pork production for China this year. So I still don't think that African swine fever situation is nearly as disruptive as what we saw a couple years ago. Okay. Now, let's uh, back here. Uh, there have been stories in the countryside of some aggressive uh, buying of grain that, uh, you know, that it would seem like 
in some cases might be hard to get the grain that buyers are looking for. Are you hearing that? And what does that tell us? Uh, well, I haven't heard those stories in particular, but I can tell you that the interior basis for cash corn and soybean prices continues to tighten in every week and tightened another penny on a national basis uh, just last night. So, uh, you know, we have a, a DTN cash corn index uh, that takes in uh, prices from around the country. And so we we check that versus the board every night, and that just continues to uh, tighten every week. This is the strongest basis levels for corn and soybeans we've seen in eight years. So, And, and we don't see that tightening stopping yet. And uh, as you might have seen in your area, I know in the eastern corn belt, there's been some flare-ups of uh, bids for $6 and plus corn. So <laughs> we're getting to some pretty incredible levels, and that continues to make me suspect that we don't have as much corn as even the 1.35 billion bushels USDA just estimated last week. Which would seem to, to say that as this year goes along, we, we always see uh, weather markets and reaction to weather issues uh, throughout a growing season. But it would seem that uh, that scrutiny will be even uh, more intense and the reaction might be even stronger if there are problems uh, in this production season. I think you're absolutely right. I expect volatility to be amplified uh, quite a bit this summer. I think every little weather threat, every little dry forecast that comes through is going to get a lot more attention than it normally has in past years. You know, it's a lot easier to handle some weather problems when you've got a 2 billion bushel surplus, but that's just not where we're at this year. There's, there's going to be, I think, a very highly anxious, nervous market going through this summer and right now our summer forecasts look above normal temperatures and below normal precipitation for much of the central and western corn belt so <laughs> it's it's uh it could be a very crazy years crazy year in terms of corn and bean prices real quick just getting underway with planting where do you think we're going to shake out on acres well, I'm sticking to our pre-report estimates of roughly 92 to 93 million acres on corn and 90 million acres uh, on soybeans. I just think that's more reasonable than the March estimates we're seeing. Now, it, it's going to be a little bit awkward in the may Wazdy report. USDA is probably going to stick with its uh, 87.6 million acre soybean planting estimate, and it's going to be hard to uh, show a positive soybean supply for the season if they do that but uh, we're sticking with the pre-report estimates okay it's going to be interesting todd good to talk with you thanks a lot <laughs> thanks very much mike all right todd holtman dtn lead analyst well indeed a lot of pressure uh, to have a good crop this year just getting underway with planting in some areas others still waiting cool and wet in some areas we're going to check in northeastern kansas Ken McCauley will join us next. We'll see what Ken's got going in his area. Are they planting yet? If so, how much? We'll find out about conditions there next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see 
became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Clean. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanning.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel diesel that doesn't mess around. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. 
own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Step right up and gaze upon this miraculous substance I hold in the palm of my hands. This little miracle can feed us, clothe us, give us clean, fresh water, and provide wildlife habitat for nature's critters. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the greatest Learn more about soil health principles that can turn your soil into a star performer. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, if they're planting anywhere, it's got to be northeast Kansas. Let's check in with Ken McCauley. Ken, are you planting, and if so, how much? Uh, good morning, Mike. No, well, we, we're planting, but uh, not today. Uh, just I think almost everybody is parked thinking it's going to rain. It's snowing in western Kansas, so rain's moving in, it looks like. So uh, there's been a lot of corn planted, though, and even some beans. Uh, but we're um, 40% of our corn's planted. Looks looks mm. like it went in really good. And contrary to popular opinion, we have zero beans planted. Really? That surprises me. You, all the well, all the early planting advocates, you're not one of those? No, you know, I've always thought got to do what what everybody's doing, but I haven't I haven't jumped on this bandwagon. Uh, I really think this year might be the year to have them, you know, come out harvest early when everybody's just running out of beans, but uh it, it's it's a hard thing to figure out. Some guys are planting corn with one planter and soybeans with another and you know that kind of mm-hmm. makes a little bit of sense but uh <laughs> heard somebody switched from corn to beans and i i sure don't think i'd want to switch planters in the middle of season <laughs> but but uh there's sure a lot of people talking about it so you know one thing that hit me the other day is this might stop a lot of extra corn acres going because once you get started planting corn it's hard to hard to not stop we all know that feeling yeah, I was going to ask you: Have there been many? Have you heard of many in your area changing uh, uh, acres, uh, switching from corn to beans, or vice versa? No, I haven't heard of anything about that. Uh, most guys had their anhydrous on a few that that mm-hmm. put it on this spring. I I haven't heard of anybody changing any big acres, and you know, with anhydrous price the way it is, I <laughs> it's almost half price last fall compared to now. So. Uh, I, I, I just don't think there's much of that going on around here. But, you know, there's the Corn Belt guys, and some of them switch just with a flip of a coin or, you know, we see different market opportunities. But uh, I, I think that uh, well, it's going to be hard for corn acres to gain what some people think. That's going to be really good for these markets. So you got about 40% of your corn planted. Uh, what about your soil temps? It's been cold, but pretty cool for this time of year. I think they're running in the, you know, 50 and they drop down at night. But my, my brother has all this stuff on his planter, and it tells him what the temperature is as you go through the field. 
and it's telling him it's cold and then it's warm. And I said, so if you put all that stuff on your planter and you don't listen to it, what do you put it on there for? And he said, well, I turned that off. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it seems at, at some point you just you go more by a calendar or other things rather than I, I maybe not as concerned about soil temperatures as we used to be. No, I think that's right. I, you know, the, the, the corn is getting such good soil to seed contact that I don't think there's as big a worry. But, you know, the other side of it is that you can put a, the rest of our 60% in and, you know, maybe seven days, something like that. And, and there's a lot of guys look at it that way. But I don't think it'd hurt to keep on going. But you sure don't want to have a big rain come on this with this cold weather either. That'd, that'd be a mess. So, um <laughs> It's good to have a young guy like our son with some discipline that I never had. I wouldn't. <laughs> Back in the old days, we'd probably just keep right on going because everybody else would be. Mm-hmm. So what's your forecast? You's got, you, you think rain coming in. What's your forecast for next week? Well, uh, Brad just told me that it's going to be 25 on either Monday night or Tuesday night. and <laughs> That's pretty cold north of here it's supposed mm-hmm. to be colder yet so i <laughs> it's hard to say what what uh how long that's going to stay then it's supposed to warm up i think after that all right well we'll stay in touch but uh, i figured you had some planted uh, i thought maybe you'd have even yeah. more but you're showing a lot you're showing a lot of uh, patience there that's good good discipline well, patience is a virtue mike uh, I, I had a big <laughs> question for for you uh the question should be should we be asking for cryptocurrency as payment for these high dollar grains? That's a question. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Are you? Are you asking for that? No, but it it sure seems to be the question on all these market guys, uh, the bitcoins and all these new cryptocurrencies, what's going to really happen and and all the taxes that we're looking at down the road here for guys my age. Yeah, a lot of concern about that um uh, what are your thoughts uh, as we move into this, uh, you know, push for climate policy and a lot of spending plans out there? Um, thoughts about pay- how we're paying for all this? What concerns do you have? Well, the, the the way they're asking for farmers and people like us businessmen to to pay for all these things is is uh, terrible to me. Uh, guys our age, my age, that are that are getting out and, and have, you know, have some thoughts about, you know, what we're going to do in the future. But if they're going to take it all away and, and our kids aren't going to have but less than half of, of what they thought they might inherit and the farm not going on, I, I think it's it's uh, pretty bad. But as far as the climate things go, we've got to really watch it. And I hope our national organizations are, are really not going to give the farm away on this because they're going to charge us more on the backside than we're ever going to get. And all these companies that are going to handle the money are, are going to end up way better off than we are. So I think there's a lot of, lot of reasons we need to be really cautious on, you know, what we say we're going to do here. All right, Ken, thanks for the update. I'll have to check in with your buddy, uh, uh, Gene Millard and see, you know, he's probably ahead of you. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that's going. Okay. Gene's always ahead, and then he worries about what he's done. So I feel for him, but thanks for the call. Okay. You bet. We'll stay in touch. Thanks, Ken. Good to talk with you. All right, Mike. Thanks.
Ken McCauley farms in northeastern Kansas. As he said, 40% of his corn planted, kind of on hold right now. Not started on beans yet. We'll continue to talk with farmers uh, around the country and get the planting updates. Also coming up uh, on our next program, we'll be talking with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley for a Washington update. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.